Ladies and gentlemen, we just got done with Mr. Joseph, a 25-year LAPD officer and consultant, and we had a very interesting and insightful conversation about what he and his colleagues are currently having to deal with on almost a daily basis. It was moving, it was extremely informative, and better yet, why don't you just go have a listen yourself and learn from someone who's actually on the ground doing the work. We just can't thank him enough for coming on CTAP, educating us, and sharing his story. Episode 18 with Dion Joseph. Hit it. Welcome to the Call to Action Podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now it's your turn. Sometimes you hear about someone extraordinary, someone that goes above and beyond the call of duty. Someone that puts the community's needs before their own and makes an actual difference. This man is our next guest. He's been a highly decorated LAPD law enforcement consultant and officer for over 25 years, specializing in homelessness and community policing. The majority of these years spent in the famous downtown area of LA known as Skid Row. He's also a public speaker, having appeared on many major news networks, universities, and even earned a prestigious opportunity to have his own TEDx talk. He's an author, having written Stepping Across the Line, a Skid Row Cop story. And most recently, you may have heard of the open invitation he wrote to educate LeBron James's ignorant and deftone tweet towards an Ohio police officer who saved an unarmed young woman's life a couple of months ago. He's the first person in history to carry two illegal concealed carry permits, one for the gun on his right arm and the other for the left. And if the next generation of young men and women accomplish just half the things this man has done for their communities, the world would be a much better place. Please welcome the real-life superhero to the stage, Mr. Dion Joseph. Wow. Coming on, my man. That was a hell of an Appreciate introduction. It. I feel like Superman. <laughs> I feel like about to fly out of you here. You are. To <laughs> us, you are, my man. And uh, you, we honestly can't uh, just thank you enough for the work you've done over the last 25 years, and I'm sure you'll continue to do even post your, your career in law enforcement and some of the incredible things you've accomplished. But before we get into all that greatness, we're going to put you through something you've probably never even been able to accomplish in your life called the brain freeze <laughs> frenzy. It's okay. a wild array of random questions fired off rapid style. Are you ready? Oh, man, I haven't had my Ginkoba or anything, but I'm going to give it my best shot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What's the funniest arrest you've had to make? Let's see. The funniest arrest I had to make was a little person. I don't know what the uh, uh, correct, politically correct phrase is. Uh, climbed on top of a two-story building and was cussing everybody out, uh, flashing his uh, private parts at everybody, said he was going to kill everybody, and no one could get him down. So uh, he, as he was cussing everybody out, I showed up. I said, hey, John, get your butt down. And he did a triple backflip into my arms, and I think uh, we were able to get him some help. That's one of the funniest I could think of off the top of my head. No <laughs> shit. <laughs> but yeah. He did a backflip into your arms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's insane, man. So you knew him. You knew him by name. Uh, my, one of my nicknames is the Homeless Whisperer. So uh, <laughs> whenever they, they need me to come okay. and calm, calm, need somebody to come calm somebody down, I'm the one who does it. Because I've known the people there uh, for 23 years. So I'm like family to them. So. <laughs> beautiful beautiful wow, that, that's really incredible you know what and to all these incredible stories we are really keen what is your morning routine Ooh, my morning routine okay i get up and i go to my front porch and without fail i say a prayer before i hit the streets i've been doing it for 25 years and i think that's what's been keeping me above above water uh, and above all the fray uh then i six feet above ground right pretty much man. glad to be above ground in the month of living and, and literally i just feel like in my heart that it's worked and it's a it's a simple simple prayer I'm not trying to preach to anybody but i always ask to give the uh, lord to give me courage where i would cower uh give me strength where i'm weak and where i'm broken because i am not 23 anymore i'm not the 23 year old guy who could jump over buildings and bust through walls <laughs> I got three good butt whoopings left in me, and uh, so I pray that prayer every day, and it seems to get me through. <laughs> that's my that's, that's beautiful, man. Amen. 
Hell yeah, I got little goosebumps when you said that, man. It's uh, it's powerful stuff. It is, you know. No matter what uh, you believe in, or putting those good vibes out, uh, is is always something that can benefit anyone. So, um, you know, we're good Lord feeling, uh, Lord fearing individuals over here. So I can appreciate it, man. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, because really, uh, have really... you ever had to arrest? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. There's say... a little bit of a lag sometimes. So uh, yeah, I see that. Uh, yeah, because really, you know, there's things that the good Lord gives us control over. You know, he, he gives us a mind. He gives us a will. He gives us the ability to create. That's why they say we're made in his image. But then there's, we got to recognize where, they, where, you're, where you, what, no matter what your uh, discipline is as a first responder, that there are some things that are out of your control. And that's when I just put it in, in his hands and I am good to go. I'm good to go. But go ahead. What was your question? <laughs> and then you just got to dial down and, and focus on, on the task at hand, huh? Yep, pretty much. That's beautiful. Have you ever had to arrest a celebrity or a famous athlete? Oh man, no. That's a, but I've had some negative celebrity encounters and a couple of positive ones. I'll, I'll tell you one. Um, there was an All artist right. who I love. Her. I'm always afraid to talk to celebrities in uniform because you never never know what their worldview is on tops. And, and uh, right. I remember I ran into Macy Gray. Uh, and I loved her music when her album first came okay. out. I was like, oh, my God. Beautiful. Loved her. So I'm walking through this gas station, and I see her. And I said, oh, wow, I love your music. And she looks at me like I'm dirt <laughs> and walks away. So I figured she was still in <laughs> she was still in training day mode. So I just decided to, like, yeah. you know. And then I had a good celebrity encounter with uh, Michael Cooper. We, um, uh, I was on a oh, freeway, okay. getting on a freeway. And this young man had a car accident. It was a horrible accident. He was out of it. And uh, myself and Michael Cooper uh, tried to bring that man back. And, uh, you know, uh, and he was a really good dude. He got out of his car. You know, he wasn't your typical celebrity. He wanted to get hands on. And we both prayed for the young man. And hopefully he's okay. We don't know what happened to him. But that was a really great experience. Oh. Yeah. Everyone yeah. loves hearing stories like this. You know, yeah. not all celebrities have that same mentality. And right. these stories are the ones that really need to get out there. That's incredible. Yep. Yep. All right. Number four, if you could get drunk or high with anyone in history, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a good question. It would have Hi to be. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. It would have to be Dr. Martin Luther <laughs> King. Have to be. I wanted oh, to know. Oh, my goodness. I wanted to know where he got the fortitude to do what he did, knowing every day his life was on the line for the rights of all, you know, guess what made that unbelievable. What I know there were nights that he was crying. There was nights where he said, no, he didn't want to do it. And really that's my definition of a hero. A hero is not someone who goes out and protects or tries to help people who just love them and revere them. A hero is also somebody who goes out there to try to change the world for those who hate them as well. I want to sit down and have a drink with that man and say, man, how did you do that? I'm not sure how he would think of me today with all that's going on, because after all, he's a human, but he will forever be my hero for uh, for how he championed that effort and put it on his shoulders and became the face of a, a movement that was so beneficial to all. What a powerful frame. Yeah. I'd like to think he would understand the perspective of the individuals fighting for the right reasons. Right. And... You know, no matter what, I mean, look, the, I'm sure the media misportrayed him in many facets of, of his journey. So yep. it would be no different than kind of a lot of the issues that the police and law enforcement and, and anyone um, just going out doing a public service are kind of being heavily criticized and under fire right currently in this in this historical point. But I, I'd have the gut feeling he would understand the balance of both worlds and, and have a pretty good perspective on things. But that's just my take on it. I hope so. I love that yeah. guy. <laughs> Me too, man. That's a great one. So you deal with a lot of homeless people uh, and you've done some tremendous things in those communities. But let's face it, Sometimes they're crazy bastards and kind of cracked out of their minds, you know? What's the craziest shit you've had to see patrolling Skid Row? Oh, my God. There's, like, so much. So much. Let's see. Um, try to think of one. Well, it's not crazy, there crazy. I ran into one of my best friends in Skid Row. She jumped in front of my patrol car looking for a lawsuit. And <laughs> I met her in around, this was around 1998, somewhere around there. And uh, I hit the brakes and she pretends to fall and she's all screaming and hollering. I'm going to sue you. I get out of the car. I'm like, and back then we had a police chief that was trying to fire everybody. It was crazy. So I was like, baby, baby, oh, please, shoot. baby, baby, please. And then some guy comes out of the tent and says, B, 
he didn't run you over. You just, you, you're faking it. She got mad and she ran over and tried to kick him in the face. So I had to literally pick her up, bring her back and calm her down with corny jokes. I had these dad jokes I used to love to tell. I don't remember them all. Oh, rip it. Let's hear one. <laughs> I don't remember them all. But, but there's one joke that I told her that worked and she calmed down, laughed her butt off. And then she told me, she said, okay, I would sue you, but you're kind of cute. And I was like, oh, well, thank you for the cuteness. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not as cute as I used to be, but yeah. But uh, so from that, we became friends. Every best friend I've ever had in life, I met in conflict. I, it's the story of my life. So anyway, she says to me, yep. uh, I, I, she starts telling me about her life. And she says, I want you to come check on me sometimes. Uh, I see something in your eyes that you really care about people. So I did. I got to know that she had two kids she was trying to get back to, but she couldn't because she was a stone cold heroin addict. When I say a stone cold, oh, she was a stone cold crack and heroin addict. And uh, someday she would see me and out of the blue, she said, Joseph, can I pray for you? And I was like, oh, you look like you need more prayer than me. Uh, but she would pray for right. me. Yeah. And then I'd turn and flip the script on her. But what I discovered about people like Mimi is uh, Mimi was not just a crack addict. Mimi was a hero. And let me explain this. Though she was a drug addict, a stone cold drug addict, she hated the violence that came with it. So if you ever hear somebody trying to say you, can't, you can separate drug addiction from violence, they're lying to you and they have an agenda. But anyway... So she would sometimes break it down to me. She says, I hate the things that happen to people. I hate what happens to me. So uh, one day, uh, my partner and I, we get a call to go to the east side, a uh, far east side of Skid Row. And we get there and we're parked next to a tent. There's about 40 or 50 tents around. And I get on my microphone and say, hey, is somebody getting kidnapped around here? And of course, everybody was scared. So they were like, mm, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. So my partner says, let's get the hell out of here. We got some dope to go get. I was like, okay. We're driving, we get about 50 yards away, and Mimi jumps, damn near jumps in our car and says, Joseph, Robocop, Robocop, stop, stop, stop. And I'm like, what's going on? That tent that you're parked right next to, that green one, there's a man, they're going to kill him. If you don't go over there, they're going to kill him. Went back, opened the tent, and some rich guy from the west side who was trying to buy dope had been kidnapped by two crack addicts in the tent. So Mimi wasn't just a crack addict. She was also a hero. Dang. Now, this funny way i met this Dang. friend did end in tragedy sadly a few months later um i uh got a call to the homicide detectives and they said hey Dion, uh we need to talk to you they say you know everything that's going on on the east side i was like sure what's up she goes well there was a murder some young lady got murdered and i was like oh i know a girl named mimi she'll tell me everything i want to know because every cop has two or three oh, of those friends no. they'll tell you everything and when, when he, i said okay. mimi he got sad and he went over to his file and grabbed the folder and showed me a picture of my friend mimi who went to sleep on the sidewalk and someone randomly strangulated her death with a belt. That destroyed me. That, that, that was the first time I said to myself, I'm not doing any good here. You know, why would you make this? I was asking God, why would you allow me to make this connection with this human being? But there was a lesson I learned from that, that whether somebody's cracked out, sexed out, ganged out, crimed out, whatever out, uh, somewhere deep down inside, you got to know that they're loved by God and they're a decent person. But her death and a couple of others motivated me like nobody's business to try to create an environment in Skid Row conducive to change so that the influence of the drug programs and service providers can be stronger than that of the, uh, than, than that of the criminal element. And at the time, I'm telling you, I was the only human being that thought this way. Uh, it felt like that sometimes, but it motivated me. Right. And we did some incredible things. We saved a lot of life. We really did from that. Oh, my goodness, man. That's in, That was like, it's crazy to hear the initial part of that. And then... Man, like it just it's a gut check hearing those types of people unfortunate in their circumstances that happen to them in life in a mixture of I'm sure a little bit of choices. There there is some self you Absolutely. know responsibility to a lot of degree, but you know, I, once you kind of get a hook it, into those things, it's it's extraordinarily difficult to get out, as you know more than anyone. So, but uh, man, that's uh, sorry for your loss. She sounds like a fantastic individual, probably pretty funny to be around, and uh, had some crazy stories. But you know what's appreciate funny? Appreciate you sharing that. You know what's interesting about her though? I went to her memorial day uh, in Skid Row. When someone dies, you won't see a tombstone or headstone. You'll see some flowers. So I went and brought some flowers. I found out more about her when I brought those flowers. Some little old lady came up to me and was like, you knew her? I was like, yeah, she was one of my good friends. And this lady went on to tell me about how many times she took beatings for other women trying to protect them from their pimps. And, you know, it oh just lets you, goodness. it just reminds you that in everybody there's a decent, and I agree with you 100%. A lot of people, they made their own mistakes. They have to be accountable, held accountable at times uh, for them to have that push to change their life. But still, you know, yep. don't forget that somewhere down there is a human being who, if you give them an environment, they can change. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. 
uh, Dion, you are just a good dude. And hey, uh, between men, you are a good looking guy too. So <laughs> just throw that out there. Probably probably does well, well, for, you, well for you in life. Thank you. Uh, no, all right, I, moving I, on. I got the dad bod going right now, so I'm trying to work that off, but you know. <laughs> the wife says I still look good. I don't know, man. <laughs> I wasn't lying about those two illegal uh, you know, permits, concealed carry permits. Yeah. I, <laughs> I even did. Uh, <laughs> 22s, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I did arms in honor of you today, so I did some biceps and whatnot just to get a little pump on, you know? Like, man, uh, every Dion's day energy. is arm day, arm and back, yeah. right, chest? That's right. There you go. <laughs> All right, Q, rip it. What's something that the general public would be surprised to know about police officers? You know what? Uh, based on what's going on today, they would be surprised to know that we're not robots who don't have hearts. You know, that, that literally, I t- when I was talking to college students before the uh, Minneapolis, uh, the murder of George Floyd, in my opinion, I, that's my opinion. Uh, yep. But be- before that happened, I noticed a shift uh, in mindsets towards police, where I used to be able to walk onto college campuses and, and change the lives of college students in two hours. I take 3,500 college students out on skid row tours. Uh, they would come to the station looking for me and uh, advocates, college professors, and I would erase two semesters of indoctrination in just two hours about police and the homeless. And I used to love doing that. Well, there was a mindset shift uh, where you had these college professors who were telling these kids that we were inherently evil. They would put a picture of a patrol slave catcher badge next to a LAPD badge or a sheriff's badge and say, no, this is the roots of policing. This is what's literally happening on college campuses. So there came a point to where so I, some you know, CRT business this, going this on. CR, huh? And it's completely false. It's manipulation. It's revisionist history. There is no connection to slave catchers and policing. Really, if you really dig into the weeds, slave catching was literally just in the South. And it's, it's, only purpose was not to enforce laws, protect property. It was supposed to bring back slaves who ran away, torture, maim them, and maintain plantations. Now, it's not to say that some of those guys didn't go out and become police officers. Some of them went on to become of doctors, course. farmers, and everything else. But the hyper-focus was on police. So so now it's very hard. But if you really take the time to talk to a police officer and, and get to know them instead of judging them uh, by the uh, uh, Judging them by the color of the uniform instead of the content of the character. If you start doing that, you'll discover we're just human beings. Yep. We're not perfect. Look, I have, 20, I have 25 years of dedicated service. I believe I carry myself with honor and integrity, but I have my moments. Look, if someone kicked you in the nads, what would you do? You know, you know, huh? get a little heated. Get a little heated. You know, you know? Your, your mom passes away three days ago and you your, your dumb butt shows up to work when you should have yeah. stayed home. And somebody's talking about your mom. I mean, we're just human beings who should be held to a higher standard, but but not a standard that's unreasonable. All a police officer is, is a microcosm of society. And what I, what I mean by that is how many of us believe that in Mm. the United States of America, whether they're black, white, gay, straight, transgender, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, even a devil worshiper, how many of you believe that the vast majority of Americans are decent human beings? Most of us. I raise your hand if you believe that. Yeah, they had better. Absolutely. Be. <laughs> and if you, you don't, know. if you don't believe that, please get off social media and go talk to your neighbor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Social, yeah, exactly. social media, social yes. media. Yes. Now, how many of you yes. also believe that in America, this beautiful country we live in, there's a negative exception of all of those people in this giant melting pot? And the answer is yes. There's a small negative exception in the hundreds Always. of thousands and millions that causes all the hell causes all the clicks, gets in all the all jobs. Likes, right? right? Where do uh, law enforcement agencies select from? The American public. And I can assure you that the vast majority of officers that they select are not racist. They're not inherently racist. They're not evil. They're not brutes. You know, but of course, every now and then, the negative exception is going to get on and rear their ugly heads, and we end up paying for it. Now, that's common sense. And when I tell this to a college student who's running around with their fist in my ear, and when we have that moment of silence where we can actually humanize each other, they're, that makes sense. It starts to make sense. But they've been so indoctrinated over the last 10 to 15 years. And, and let me show you what that indoctrination looks like. Looks like One of the most evil men in the 20th century, we all can agree, is Adolf Hitler. You know, I, I, by saying what I'm about to say, I'm not giving him a compliment. You know, he's in hell. He's getting his, he's getting his just desserts. He's where he belongs. But I have to be honest, Adolf Hitler was a brilliant man. He understood humanity like, like nobody's business. And here's what, what, what I mean by that. Hitler understood that you could bring people together faster using hate and vitriol and division than love and understanding. If you want to know how difficult it is to bring people together in love and understanding, let's ask Dr. Martin Luther King and Gandhi. Oh, we can't. Someone <laughs> killed them. You know, that's a challenge. That's Touché. a challenge. That's so, deep. so what Hitler does is this. 
and now college professors are doing it the same and every activist. He said, tell a lie, keep it simple and repeat it over and over again until everybody believes it. One of his lackeys said, tell a crazy ass lie. One lie, nobody will believe you. You tell that same lie 1,000 times, and eventually people will start believing you. What was the lie told about me as a the Jews, that they were inferior, the Germans were superior, the Jews are coming after your jobs, all kind of, all because his college professor failed him in art class when he was a kid. This, this guy held a hell of a grudge, right? Killed 6 million Jews and uh, 4 million others. Now, what's the lie told about me in the 80s and 90s, that all black males are criminals, which is why I would get pulled over sometimes because I was African-American, or I'd be in a store, some ladies clutching their poor purse on being followed by the store owner. Uh, but that was a false narrative, but people believed it. What's this one being told about cops? That cops are inherently racist, cops are after people of color, and if you tell some young, impressionable 20-year-old who wants to change the world Absolutely. that, and you're in a position of power, you have the power platform, and you're telling this up, these folks this over and over again, they're eventually going to start to buy it and they've bought into it. So we're in a very dangerous place in society right now where we have people who have nefarious, motive, nefarious motives, and, uh, and until we can get back on those campuses, until we can guide them close to center, my goal is never to pull people all the way from the right or the left because I hate the extremes of both. I'm a centrist. But if I could of just course. get both of them close to center where at least we as Americans can start talking and thinking and break out of tunnel vision. In police work, we have something called tunnel vision, which is very dangerous. It's when you're only focused on what's in front of you, but you don't see the help or danger to your left or your right. So you can see options on how to protect yourself or make things better. And that's what I'm trying right. to get American public to see. Talk to a cop, bring him to your, let us back on your college campuses and let us give our side. If we don't agree, fine, but at least you'll have an educated opinion. And that I can respect. Do you think that like when just kind of going human to human with some of these people that maybe they're, you know, you get it and, and, and there's a connection, uh, but then it's just undone by the college professor through the rest of the semester, whittled away all that work that you did right then and there. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm finding. That's absolutely what I find. I have college kids email me, call me, hit me up on Facebook. Hey, I go to this university. I, I saw your TED talk or you came to my school five years ago. And I got to tell you how hard it is when I'm in my class and I'm hearing my professor just rail against you guys. They're not only providing misinformation, what they're doing, what's even worse, they're providing disinformation. You know, uh, one, yes. one guy, one college, one cop told me a story where he was talking to some college, he was in his college class. He goes to college and his professor was telling of the students, okay, I'm going to explain to you what racial profiling is. If uh, uh, you get a call at a bank that a male Hispanic wearing a black hoodie, blue jeans, and white tennis shoes with black stripes is that it's robbing a bank. And if the police get there and they see a male Hispanic wearing a black hoodie, blue jeans, and, and white Adidas with black stripes, if the police detain them, that's racial profiling. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's not racial profiling? <laughs> yeah, why? Just because he's Hispanic? No, that's the description that was given. If he's standing next to the he bank, matches every point. <laughs> that's probable cause. <laughs> Even if he's walking two blocks away, there's close enough. And he tried to explain this to this professor, but he wasn't having it. Even so, that's what's happening. There's a lot of pressure for a lot of young folks who are centered, who are more objective, to capitulate just to be able to pass. And unfortunately, sometimes that indoctrination oh, uh, uh, gets on them and it's hard to shake until they actually talk to it. And that's what I find when I have one on one mm -hmm. meetings, when I get these folks away from their silos and echo chamber, you know, it, I can just almost see the walls coming down when I just fill in those blanks that no, we are not in skid row because the people are black or homeless. That's not true. We're there because if we're not, people die. And here's the data totally. to back that up. Right. You've had 30, totally. the skid row accounts for 40 to 45% uh, of all the crime in a small 4.5 mile radius. So do you think I'm going to be in Chinatown where people are doing stretches in the park and the kids are saying, hi, police, and you know, there's no crime. I, mean, if there, <laughs> I know there's crime there, but it's organized crime to where if it's squeaky clean, these are smart criminals. They don't do their thing in, uh, in broad daylight, but in skid row, when you're getting people stabbed and shot in broad daylight, 24 seven, that's where your resources are. So, of course, there's going to be disparity, yep. but disparity doesn't always equal bias, okay? I don't believe that yeah. the black community is inherently evil and that they're all criminals. I know for a fact that the vast majority of the black community, Hispanic community, are hardworking, decent people. 
But the truth is there's Absolutely. a negative exception in those communities that are so destructive and dangerous that we have no choice but to be there. And that's not their, their skin is not their sin. It's a level of criminality. And I love it when I explain that to some blonde haired, blue eyed, woke kid. He's like shaking because <laughs> you know, in five minutes. I it's because his walls are built on sand, you know, yeah. it's like it's it's they're they're still very malleable. And exactly. like you said, the information they're getting and where they're getting it from has is, is literally from no experience. I'm sure a lot of those times those professors and anyone that they are looking up to don't have an experience in law enforcement no. in going out the day to day. And no. I mean, I'm sure uh, what I really appreciated about your conversation with um, lately that open letter you had to LeBron was you, you know, a lot of news channels, I think, tried to really get that uh, clickbaity titles of, of what they wanted you to sound like and be like, and yeah. to a degree it was, but your perspective was really interesting because you were coming from a gracious perspective. You Absolutely. understood where LeBron was coming from, even though it was extraordinarily deftone and just, in my opinion, it, it was pretty obnoxious that it was, it was so clear what happened. And for him to say that thing, I'm not even going to repeat it, but I really appreciate it. And this is why we need more individual individuals like you in this world is because I think you understood where he was coming from and not because only because he was, uh, he's African American and probably had some of the same struggles that you did growing up in this country, which we can get into as well, but you're just a good person and you understand that people just need better education. Yeah. And it's just like you go into the college talking to these students, same thing with LeBron. It's like, hey, man, uh, let's have a discussion. No cameras, no bullshit, like under the table. Doesn't even have to be promoted. But I just want to tell you one to one from my perspective, going out into areas where it's already heated and difficult right. and what that cop probably experienced in that situation. So I really appreciated that about uh, kind of your perspective on that situation. Thank you. You know, there's a, there's a saying that no one knows better than the man in the arena. And I, I'm not going to tell LeBron James how to play basketball. I mean, the guy's got four championship rings. Uh, he's, he, I'm not going to tell him how to oh, give yeah. back to charity. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. Not knocking him. But don't come with a broad brush and tell me how to be a cop. You know, and I, yeah. you know, I, I was so frustrated by the pundits who got a hold of it and tried to turn it into black cop bashes LeBron, cop slams LeBron. I think that's what killed right. the possibility of that connection. Uh, but my, my whole goal, and like I said, oh, that's a shame. I tell everybody, don't read the taglines. I said LeBron probably read the taglines, but he didn't read the letter. If you read the read the letter, there was nothing but love oozing out of every sentence. And uh, that, that's absolutely. And, and I wanted to meet him. No cameras. I'm serious. Uh, oh, you're clout chasing Joseph. No, I'm not. Why would I say uh, no cameras? No. Even, even my department was like, oh, if you meet him, uh, call media relations. I'm not calling nobody. I want you, me two <laughs> two grown men who care about the black community. And I care, too. Uh, I love them to death. But we got to be real about what's going on within it. And uh, let's meet. Let's have a conversation. Let's humanize each other first. Because I'm the king of humanizing uh, cops. I, we had this thing called the Trust Talks where there was a breakdown uh, in the Skid Row community because of a shooting we were involved in, a very justified shooting. But, of course, like we see in society, the activists show up. They start oh, spreading man. lies. And then oh, we were go. about to have this Ferguson yeah. effect. So what I did was instead of running, uh, where the, that was the mistake that the Ferguson cops made, they just left the area. And who came in to speak up for them? Antifa, you know, BLM and all these uh, white kids who wanted to lay in the streets to be for the black community. And that's how that divide grew and grew and grew and grew. I didn't want to do that. Two days after it happened, I came back to work and I walked the streets and people were like, are you crazy? I'm like, no, this is, this is, these are my family. I'm not running from them. And talking to them, I found out that 75% of the people supported what we did. They were like, oh man, if you guys didn't shoot that guy, we were going to shoot him. He was crazy. <laughs> You know, guys <laughs> beating up people okay. and robbing people and, and doing all kind of crazy stuff. And uh, and then the 25% who didn't understand, we were able to have conversations. And I, and I love the fact that I was open about policy and procedure. One guy was like, Joseph, why do you cowards? It takes five officers to take down one man. I said, okay. I said, uh, Sean, his name was Sean. I said, Sean, I've seen your greatest hits on closed circuit TV. You're nice with your hands. I can twist you up like a pretzel. If you and I had to fight one-on-one, -on -one, guess what? One of us or both of us are going to the hospital. You. 
Anyway, uh, <laughs> but that's not what we want. Yeah, that's not what I want. Of course. Why would I want to wrestle with you on a piss-covered skid row sidewalk? Has any of you ever gotten to a fight with somebody on a piss-covered sidewalk and then stood up and had a hypodermic needle stuck to your vest? Anybody ever had that happen to them? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, me, happen to me. Never. I don't want You that. have. If I have to fight, my goal is oh. not to put you in the hospital. My job is to bring you as safely as possible uh, into custody as I can. And if I have to call five officers, an officer to grab your arm, I'll grab your legs, another one to wrap up your ankles, use our body weight, yeah, you're going to have some scratches and bruises. I'm going to have some scratches and bruises, but guess what? We're, we're both going to go home eventually. It might we're take okay. you a little longer while you're locked up, but we're both going to go home safe. And that's the goal. Officers are not, most officers aren't cowards. Some of them are trained mixed martial artists. You know, they're, they're, that's my, what I was going to ask you about. My twin brother. Actually, that, that was something. Yeah, my twin brother, if you ever see, he's terrifying. You know, like I said, I used to be able to whoop on my brother for years. Now it's like five minutes is over, this guy's. <laughs> but some of these officers. Yeah, still, exactly. You have a, you're a twin? Yes. Yes. You should see him. He's, I'm uh, a twin too. I have a twin sister. You do? Oh, that's, that's awesome. Twinning. We're twinning here. <laughs> We're twinning. Yeah, that's, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> no. <laughs> but no. You that's see awesome, my man. Brother. My brother is not an ounce of body fat, no dad bot at all. He was 25 oh. years old. God, he, he gets to work out on, on the city time, and uh, God bless him for that. Shredded, shredded. Hell yeah! Uh, as a matter of fact, just look up CJ's functional fitness; you'll see a picture of him. But anyway, all right, well, but, well shout out, hell yeah, yeah. But 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 we're not trying. We're not trying to be macho. This is not a Hollywood movie where I take off my belt and we go mano y mano. That's right. stupid. That's dumb. So dumb. I got scars on my body that I didn't want to receive uh, doing police work. You know, I'm still 13 and 0 in these streets by the grace of God, but I don't want to fight anybody. Nice. I want to get you home safe. And I want to get me home safe. It's just not worth it. If people understood understood the scrutiny uh, that comes with getting involved into a knockdown drag out with somebody or into a shooting, if they understood that they'd know that no cop wants to be in a shooting, uh, you know, shootings, when they happen, they're we're reacting. Uh, do we get it right? I would say most of the time, yes. But are there times where we get it wrong? Are there times where we overreact? Absolutely. You know why? Because we're flesh and blood. If anybody tells you that a cop shouldn't be afraid, I get this all the time. Where if you're afraid, you shouldn't be a cop. That's why you guys always use that catchphrase. I feared for my life. No, that's real. You know, uh, you can have fears being a cop. Matter of fact, fears is what justifies you moving forward to protect other people or yourself. There's nothing wrong with having fear. It's only a the, human. The definition of bravery is this. Pushing past your fears, your real yeah. human, uh, human-inclined fears to complete a goal. So, yes, I've been afraid out there, but my fear saved my life, you know. And, and if I didn't have that fear, I'd probably be dead on several occasions. So people have to understand that yes. fear is a part. Cops are just human beings. We're just human beings. We're not perfect. I think there's a really interesting point as well that I'd like to make is that I think a lot of individuals, citizens in this country, and probably I'm pointing this more towards the individuals that are kind of for this defunding the police movement that hopefully is moving in a different direction, if not kind of under the radar because the media is not talking about it as much. But I don't think they quite understand. Police officers I, you know, you correct me, but I would assume you guys have to touch an individual probably almost time every time you go out right. to some degree. And so what I'm really fascinated by is like in those in that amount of altercation. So like that times multiplied by 25 years, that's a lot of manipulation, bodily manipulation. Right. What I mean, do you guys train jujitsu? Do you guys have any you know funds, annual funds that go towards police training for these types of scenarios like is that something that happens or do you have to pay for it out of your pocket no we have training at the academy when we come on but it's basic stuff it's just enough to say that the city trained you and this is every in every department you know but it's not real dynamic intense things as a matter of fact we learn more spanish and human relations than how to keep our heads from being blown off in the street in the academy that's literally what it is no shit you know yeah so what I'm hearing now, I'm hearing some departments are adopting that, which I think is great. I think we should, uh, uh, an officer should uh, be able to graduate with a, at least a blue belt in jujitsu uh, to, uh, to be able to go out and be in the yeah. street. Because uh, most fights we know go to the ground. And we, if you want to be able to end it quicker to save your life and the person you're dealing with. But no, that, it's safer. that, that intensive training 
that people imagine, like we're ninjas jumping from buildings and stuff like that, like the military. That's not real. That's not real. You know, and some officers come with it. Some officers who come on the job have, have never been in a fight in their entire life, you know, and the, and the most combat they've ever had was in that controlled environment. So they give us the tools. Yeah, right. here are the tools you're supposed to lose, use an arm lock, a twist lock here, this, that, a walk along or whatever. But when you get to the streets and someone's going Compton on you, it's different. Right. See, in the academy, sure. you survive the scenario. If you get killed, guess what? Reset, try it again. And now you're certified. Mm. Yeah. In the streets, a twist lock doesn't always work. Sometimes I might have to punch you in the face. Sometimes I might have to kick yeah. you. Not because I'm a jerk or I, I, I'm a brute, but you're kicking me. You're hitting me yep. full on, Mike Tyson, you know, haymakers. What a twist lock is not going to work in that predicament. I may have to do a little. Not to more. mention all the excess weight that you have on top of you oh, as God. well. You've got yeah. a lot of equipment in the way. Like you don't have the mobility you would as an individual just in street clothes. Absolutely, it looks heavy and hot. Absolutely, and now it doesn't excuse the negative exception of cops who actually brutalize. I'm not. I can't stand those guys. Do they exist? Of course, of course they do. They do, and I can't. When they do their thing. It bothers me because when they get fired, retire, or get indicted, I'm the one who has to deal with the fallout. So it's not that I'm not dismissing right, that. Right. But what I am saying in most cases when you see officers getting into fights and having the punching is legal. It's, it's legal for me to punch. If you're punching me, I have the right to punch you. You know, if you grab my finger yeah. and you're twisting my fingers, do you think I'm going to be like, wrong with sir, that. please let go of my finger? No, I'm, I'm, I'm going right. to do what i got to do Elbows to, to keep my finger Hell from yeah. being broken. So people need to understand that that uh, we're not hired to be punching bags, police officers. And if we can get our- uh, Verbal uh, or physical. Verbal or physical. Well, unfortunately we have to take verbal abuse, which I think is the height of cowardice. You know, whenever I have some young man or woman cursing me out in the field, yeah. calling me this and calling me that, I laugh on the inside because if I wasn't in this uniform, you would never say that to me. So you're, <laughs> you're literally hiding behind- Hey, no, nobody would look at you Nobody would look at you outside of uniform no. and say anything oh, no. like that. I, funny, <laughs> funny story. I had a sus- you, you look like a machine. I had a suspect every day I was in the street. Robocop, I'm going to kick your ass. You ain't, you ain't shit without your saying. You ain't shit without that. I'll F you up. Just putting on a big show for the community. And I'm sitting here like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I went to the movies with my Keep wife. Talking. We were at Magic Johnson's Theater in uh, South LA. This fool was in line. And I go, what's up, dog? And he's like, oh, <laughs> Oh, oh head down. Yeah. <laughs> he is a crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's it's the keyboard warrior effect, man. They man. see this false protective wall, but uh And that protective yeah, wall is my uniform. My uniform yeah. gives you the right to be a coward and, and talk crap about me. That's sad. And that's really sad. And they go see, that, home and that they gets feel, me they feel buttoned themselves up. doing it, you know, and the only people they're impressing are other cowards. That's all. You're not brave for idiots. coming. You're not brave for coming at a police officer like that. You're not. Just stop with the BS. No. If you want to have a conversation with me about something, let's have a conversation. Don't do that BS. I can't respect it. I don't respect it at all. There's so many videos where people are going beyond verbal and and really physically assaulting officers, and then they themselves end up taking something to the face or whatever, and how often does this actually happen? Because I think like the internet makes it seem like this happens all the time. You know, the internet is always on the side of the person who just, you know, who, who lashed out at the officer first, you know, as if the officer wasn't supposed to do anything. But I mean, isn't it more dangerous if the officer did nothing? You know? Well, yeah, because what happens is, see, uh, this is hood logic one-on-one. I'm from the city of Long Beach. And <laughs> in the city of Long Beach, when I grew up, now I wasn't a bully or a tough guy. You know, I, like I said, I, I, there was some point where I was pretty nice with these. Uh, but Long Beach was a tough place to grow up in some parts. And there was a rule in Long Beach. If yeah. someone challenged you to a fight, you rose to the challenge. You, you rose to the challenge. And unfortunately, because if you didn't, they would tell the next guy in the neighborhood, oh, that guy's a punk. And then it, now you got two guys challenging you. Exactly. And you got three. That's right. In police work, what, what's happening now is officers can't respond. So you got one idiot being a jerk, you know, filming himself. And then the world is seeing that the officers are not going to do anything to you. So next thing you know, you got two or three more idiots. And now you're at a line at a protest. Yep. And now you got 15 idiots doing the same thing because in the back of their minds, they know we have to sit there. Now, it wasn't like this uh, years ago, about 10, 15 years ago. If you challenged me in the streets, you know, I didn't hurt you or anything like that. I remember I'd be driving by, F you, Joseph, I'll F you up. Back the car up. Get out of the car. I'm like, who said it? I'd be like, who said it? I said, no, I'm not going to hurt you, bro. Just, I just want to know who said it and give you the opportunity to be a man and say it while I'm standing here. 
and everybody on the block is like, <laughs> and then one guy was like, what are you talking about, Willis? Yeah. <laughs> and then the guy, the guy next to him was snitching. This <laughs> and idiot. I, and yeah, I, and exactly. I walked over to the guy, I said, do you have something you want to say to me? And I was just saying, you know, I don't like how y'all be, be treating people, but I would flip it. Instead of getting violent, I saw that as an opportunity to have a conversation. And that's how I started right. making inroads in my community. So I'm not telling officers to do that because the optics of that is bad. But that worked for me. The Long Beach way worked yeah. for me. Stand tall for yourself. Don't let anybody disrespect you. You know, have that conversation with them one-on-one -on -one and give them a chance to redeem themselves. And at the same time, you right. automatically build your credibility because you didn't run. Now we can't do that. If someone took a film of me doing that today, I have a complaint against me. And I think that's wrong. I think at some point you should let officers, uh, allow officers to be human. The freedom. And, and defend themselves. Yeah. But that, that, that's never going to happen again. We're going to be taking abuse for a long time. Do you think George Floyd was a pivotal kind of turning point for a lot of this? Or yeah, was I think it, it happening was, prior there, to that? Absolutely. There was a buildup. There were other incidents that the media and activists were kept putting out there and kept, they kept exploiting these people. I call it exploitation. Uh, and so you already had those raw emotions. They were looking for that one incident to light it all up. And the George Floyd uh, murder was the incident. And I watched that video and, uh, and I, my heart just broke for that man. Not, not saying that he was an angel. George Floyd had his flaws. I believe fentanyl played a part in his death. He did not deserve that treatment. That's for sure. He did not deserve to be treated like that. And I even get flack from officers yeah, saying, it's not a murder, it's drugs. I said, well, okay, well, I watched the video. And in the video, there was a point to where uh, Chauvin lifted up his foot and drove his knee deeper into Floyd's neck or back or whatever, which added to the stress. Also, uh, Chauvin was a, I think, a 17-year veteran, if I'm not mistaken. He knows we're not supposed to leave somebody in that position for a long time. We're supposed to sit them up. Even if they don't want to sit up, we're supposed to sit them up. So he knows these things. And then the last part that allowed me, that caused me to believe it was a murder was after George Floyd passed out, he continued to have his knee on his neck and, and, and didn't allow him to get the medical uh, attention that he needed. Uh, that right there told me that he may not have meant to kill him that day, <clears throat> but his cruelty to him that day contributed. And it, it, what he was engaged in what was, was what I call contempt of cop. It's when a, you're, you're cursing at a cop, you're yelling at a cop, and that cop wants to teach you a lesson. So he was trying to teach that crowd right. a lesson uh -huh. that he was in control when, in fact, he wasn't in control. He lost control and uh, ruined the lives of not just uh, Floyd and his, his family. And once again, to his family, uh, my prayers are with you. Uh, I'm not throwing all cops under the bus at all. I'm sorry. I don't care what you say. The vast majority of officers are decent human beings who would never do that. But yes, I still, are. I'm a human being at heart, and my heart breaks for them. But it also breaks kind of now for the uh, other officers that were there who were just rookies. Some of them only had a couple of days on. You know, these guys, you know, wow. some people are saying any decent human being would have done something. Well, you know, these guys were doing what they were trained to do. They were trying to restrain and hold the guy down. And the leader at that, uh, that uh, incident was Chauvin. Uh, uh, he should have stopped what he was doing. I feel sorry for those guys, but unfortunately, because they didn't uh, uh, do what was necessary to stop Chauvin, uh, they got to pay too, and that's unfortunate. But I, I have no I pity. Think so too. No pity for Derek Chauvin whatsoever. I hope he finds peace with God, but I have no pity, no remorse for any for him at all. I, I have no feelings for him at all. I'm disgusted by it. Or anyone like him. You, or anyone yeah, like man, him. Yeah, man. I think. You know, there there's always shitbags in the weeds. You know, I'm uh, there's endless stories of these individuals and types of them. But it's just it's really unfortunate in a lot of ways because, like like you said, those newer rookie cops having to deal with that. Although, in my opinion, I don't know. I I may just have a different mindset. I I, I feel like I would have said something and and maybe even hey man, let's shift out. Why don't you take a break and go over here? You know, something could have happened. Yeah, um, it's hard to know in the obviously. Moment. 2020 hindsight, but the I also officer, the feel really officer, bad. I'm sorry. The officer that I blame primarily was the Asian officer who I think he did walk over right. and say something, but he had enough time to understand. Like I was a rookie once and I remember what it was like and not knowing my head from my butt, what was legal, what was legal. Of course we trained in the Academy. We got all this law in the Academy, but there's one thing to learn it in the Academy, but there's nothing to apply it uh, in the street. And, uh, I, you know, the, the only two cops I don't feel sorry for is Chauvin and that uh, Asian officer. But the other officers, I do feel sorry for them because uh, yeah, I was a rookie true. once who didn't know my head from my butt. Uh, like they say, your head from your butthole. And, you know, and, you know, I feel sorry for those guys. But the others, I don't. I have no 
no no feelings for them whatsoever you have such an eloquent way of putting things man and you really speak to that human level you know and i think it it, it really shines in everything that you say uh, how often is it the case that people die in the hands of police from drugs or from something else like is it, is it common that you would show up on scene and boom it's it's like a drug related something death. that's happened many times across this country uh, we've had several in custody deaths where i work where clearly it was the drugs that that killed them you know uh, i had a guy uh swallow about three ounces of cocaine you know and if it wasn't for my partner wow. doing what Good he did God. to cause him to throw it up uh you know i'm that man would not be here his heart would have exploded so people swallow drugs all the he, time this he is did it because he knew you were coming yeah yeah that's that's very common and he was one of those dope dealers. he was a, a lazy dope dealer most dope dealers wrap their drugs in cellophane so they can swallow it and then when the police come get rid of it and then they go home poop it out and sell it again so when you're smoking crack be careful you might oh. be smoking some uh poop as well <laughs> but, but it adds to the flavor. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like that coffee. There's a coffee. That coffee yeah. Like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's where they got the idea. But this one That's this insane. one drug dealer was lazy. He just was getting away with it for so long that he just didn't even wrap it. So when the cops came, he took some chapstick containers and took it like down like tic tacs and swallowed them down. And when my partner saw this, she sprung into action and uh, I, I don't know what she did, but whatever she did caused him to vomit it up because he would have died that day. But this happens all across the country and the deaths have nothing to do with the cops. It just, we just happen to take them into custody. But prior to us getting right. them into custody, they swallowed dope. And sometimes we don't know. Right. Sometimes we don't know and they won't say it because they don't want to go to jail. Did you swallow dope? Uh-uh. And then they bring us to the station and next you know they're having a seizure. And now you got people riding protests and thinking we killed somebody in custody. But it happens. It happens. That's a, re that's a re reality of our job as well. The right thing always seems to just be honest to the situation, man. Like, I don't think anyone wants these people dead, no. you know, like, let's fix the problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. An in-custody death is stressful, even if it's 100% not your fault. Yeah. Just the fact that somebody died in your custody, the media is going to get a hold of it. Activists are going to get exploited. Oh, the, the black life they care about is the black life they can exploit. Let's put it like that. Because let's, right. let's, let's just be honest. Mm. You got thousands of African-Americans dying in the street, street violence in the most horrific, cruel ways. Uh, it's not in self-defense. It wasn't in some heat of the moment situation. It's just people riding up and shooting 20 people uh, from their car with an AK-47. Nobody cares about those black lives. The only black lives that is valuable to these activists today are the black lives that they can exploit. Your life is only as valuable as the uniform or the color of the individual that kills you. And that sickens me. That sickens me. Now, there was a story when I would get into an argument with this activist in my area, you guys run around kid, killing these people and killing kids. No, we're not running around purposely killing kids. I said, okay, but what about the kid in Inglewood? What are you talking about? There was this 14-year-old uh, kid walking home, and he was walking in the alley, and this carload of gang members pulled up. He wasn't arguing with the gang members. He wasn't fighting with the gang members. He wasn't trying to grab the gang members' gun. They just pulled up and asked him where he was from. And, of course, he could not give the right answer. He got on his knees and was praying begging these men not to kill him, a 14-year-old child. And these men pull out an AK-47. Oh and when the officers arrived, they found him in praying position filled with bullets. But you don't see oh, that. You don't see any black activists hollering and screaming. A seven-year-old girl is walking across the street with her father, watches her father get murdered right in front of her. Another seven-year-old girl at McDonald's gets a shot to the head while she's sitting in her car. A nine-year-old chased into his own backyard by gang members and, and, and executed like an animal. None of these names mentioned come up on there. So I don't take them seriously. You know, one black life is not as, yeah. as, as of lesser value as another. If you're going to be mad about the few controversial acts that police, uh, that police engage in in the heat of a moment, you better be just as upset as the thousands of people who die senselessly in the streets from crime and gang violence. If you don't, if you don't care about those people, I don't take you seriously. I seriously don't because their, their, their lives are just the same. They're just as important. And the difference is, LA is one getting is in safer? the heat of the moment where an officer had to make a split-second decision and react to something, where the other is just, hey, you're on the wrong side of the tracks, or you're wearing the wrong color today, or where are you from? You know, I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry, I, I can't get with Reactions you. are tough, too, because you're, you guys are also under, like, you don't put on a cop uniform, and you're not going to birthday parties, high-fiving people, eating cupcakes, and, right. and yeah. enjoying a drink. You're going to already tense scenarios. So exactly. One, 
you're already primed before you get in the vehicle. Then you get to the location, adrenaline's probably amplified by 5x, 10x, and by the time you get close enough to somebody where an altercation can take place, a murder, uh, 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 anything, a fist fight, make that a 14-0 run you'll have, like, your adrenaline's going so hot that all your senses are, are going crazy. Yeah. You guys have to rely and fall back on training, yeah. which it sounds like you guys have to take in your own hands because the, you know, you don't have continual training pipeline. No, we don't. And that's something I want to talk to you about. Is that something that you see is shifting or changing? Like, um, are, are they starting to try and provide these programs like jujitsu or judo or Not even at the range? Like how often do you guys go shooting great idea. And, and run, run, uh, you know, ammunition through yeah. your, through your firearms? We shoot pretty often, like, uh, once every month or something like that. And me, because I got almost uh, 25, I got 25 years on, so I, I get to do it twice a year, but I go shoot on my own. But most of that stuff we have to do on our own. As far as jujitsu, no, that has not been implemented as a constant thing or constant. But I believe it should be. I believe every officer should have some. Like I said, you should be able to get to at least a blue belt in jujitsu before you're released into the street. That's how intense the training. Maybe maybe another couple of months of academy training on just that. I think that would be fantastic. Uh, but you're right. I, I like how you frame that because the. Shooting in Ohio, the one where the whole LeBron and me controversy started with Micaiah. I forgot what her name was. I apologize. But that, that hmm. whole scenario was a picture, a symbolic of everything I'm speaking of. You have officers responding to the black community. And when they get out of the car, before they got the information, somebody calls the police and tells them all hell's breaking loose. They get to the call. They first have to figure out who people are. These officers didn't even have a chance. When they get out of the car, you see total chaos. It's so chaotic Insanity. that a woman standing right next to the officer gets kicked in the head by another man. The officers don't know who anybody is when they got insane. there. That's and then insane. at his 12 o'clock, he sees a young yeah. woman. He doesn't know if that kid is 16. He doesn't know. All he knows, he sees a knife rearing back headed towards this the torso of another woman. And he had to react quickly to save another woman's life. That is a symbolic picture of what we face every day in communities of color. Many times when we respond, we don't know who's who. We have to figure it out. And sometimes time gives us time. One of my favorite quotes is, if time gives you time, take all the time you need. This is what's helped me in my career. But sometimes it doesn't. One minute you're walking a little old lady across the street, right. and next thing you know, she pulls out an AK-47 because she sees a rival gang member. It's like oh, it's mind-blowing how fast these things happen. Whoa. Uh, so, what, so that whole scenario, when I talk to people, is like that capsulizes, encapsulates what it is to work in communities of color sometimes, not saying that all people of color are like that. But when we respond to scenes like that, we don't know who's who, who's what, and then we have to react to what we see at the time. So when I was hearing these people saying stupid things like, well, she's the one that called. The officer didn't know that at the time. They know somebody called. Well, well, well she was just a baby. Well, officer didn't know that. All they saw was a tall, a, a young, heavyset woman rearing back at night. People need to understand and start thinking critically. See. What I believe is we're in the most – today people are smarter than we've ever been. We have access to so much more information than ever in history. Yes. But what we are, and I, right. myself included, we've all become intellectually lazy, intellectually lazy in the era right. of social media. The first person that gives us the information based on our introspection or what we believe or what we lean towards, that's what we're going to believe. And we have to break out of that as a society and become more objective. Now – be, saying the word objectivity is taboo now because everybody we're in a subjective society nice. but the world would be a better place if we were more objective because being objective it's great the one i hate is neutrality you know it's nothing being neutral <laughs> in some cases is warranted but for the most part it's cowardice because you're afraid to stand on an issue being objective is taking a step back taking your emotions out of it and looking at all the facts so you could know where to land and stand that's all objectivity is and that's what I want the general public. The next time you hear about a police shooting, the next time the media, uh, 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 white cop shoots 19-year-old black baby who wanted to be president of the United States, the next time you see that headline, <laughs> just take a step back, breathe, read the entire article, because somewhere Lisa. in there you're going to find an AK-47, a sword, and a suspect. I like how the media frames it. Officers say he had a gun. I love how the media is just not my thing. <laughs> <laughs>
they get a lot of shit wrong, my man. They get a lot of shit wrong. I mean, I, I also think it's a huge failure, though, at the leadership, right? Like, I think you guys have had your hands tied behind your backs lately. And I think it's a complete failure on the politicians level oh, who yeah. are elected representatives of communities to best make decisions for the betterment of communities. But it doesn't seem like they're supporting the causes that make that happen. I mean, yeah. like, I'm sure you guys have had incredible shifts in issues and what you're in freedoms, even what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. What's, what are some like major ones as of late that have really hindered, I guess, progress in making your communities uh, more safe and, and just better all around. Pin that question. Cause I'm going to start with your initial response. Politicians have failed. They failed. I am not a fan of politicians right now across this country. They have thrown us under the bus and backed over us. And, and now all of a sudden, like, we never said that then. Here's a picture of you saying it. Yeah. Here's an image of you calling yeah. us murderers. We've had our own politicians who are supposed to be responsible. They're supposed to sit back and, and, and stow calm instead of chaos. And they're the main ones espousing the same rhetoric as our most extreme detractors. And that, I would have been glad to take a rock or bottle during those protests. I would have been glad to take uh, a cup of piss on the back being thrown at me from one of my our detractors. I would have been glad to take it. Jesus. If one of our politicians said, hey, those weren't our cops that killed George Floyd. Those weren't our cops that killed Walter Scott. Those weren't our cops that killed, killed Oscar Grant. You know, look, you may you want to come and air your grievances. You want to protest. We support that. But you're not going to destroy our city. I wanted to hear somebody say that. And no one said it. Yeah. They threw us out there, told us to protect the city, left us alone, and allowed people to abuse us, and then encouraged it further by not even prosecuting them, just releasing them and emboldening them to continue to abuse. One of my partners lost an eye. He, he, he got a laser in his eye. And to this day, he's oh, still geez. dealing with neurological issues from that incident a year later that causes okay. him to have seizures, throw up. He can't even okay. be a, you know, a, a, the dad he wants to be to his family because some idiot on his laptop watching cop block videos all day, you know, uh, got inspired to put a laser in his eye. You know, this is what we're up against. And when our civic leaders start sounding like our detractors, they have failed. And now, like you said, they, on the download, they're trying to refund everything. But I think it's too late. I think they broke it because now you got people who don't even want to be cops anymore. Who would want that smoke? You, you know, yeah, you're, the yeah. beast, you're the beast at every feet. Mm -hmm. I, I, what can we yeah, do? I need you. But at the same time, you scare me, and I hate you at the same time. Who wants that smoke? And then you got the LeBron James in the world. You got the, uh, the people at the Oscars putting out false statistics. Oh, uh, cops uh, murder three people a day across the Just crazy stuff. And politicians agreeing with it, agreeing oh, with it. So to that point, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, wherever, I, I say wherever, uh, chaos is only welcome. Uh, chaos only follows where it's welcome. And these politicians welcome the chaos. And now they're reaping the benefits and uh, reaping the uh, repercussions of it. And they're still making us the scapegoat. Oh, no, it's not because of defunding. It's because the cops are lazy. That is not true. We are in career survival mode. Cops who I know that would have been hands-on, you know, out there, proactive, are afraid. You're talking about taking away qualified immunity. Yeah. If that happens, guess what? We're not, most cops aren't coming. I mean, you're not taking it away from doctors. You're not taking it away from the military. But you want to take it away from cops? You know, qualified immunity doesn't protect cops who break the law. Good point. It doesn't protect. It didn't protect Derek Chauvin. It didn't protect Stacey Coon and Powell. It didn't protect Officer Johannes, the, the officer who killed, I think it was uh, uh, Walter Scott. Uh, it didn't protect them because they stepped outside of the law. Qualified immunity protects officers when they act in good faith within the law, within policy, no matter how controversial it is. The law it recognizes that we are human that we have to make split-second decisions that the public, yeah. general public don't understand in the heat of the moment. That's what qualified immunity is. So you're, you're trying to take that from us? They don't try to take scaffolds away from doctors when they kill somebody with a scaffold. Of course not. No, but do you want to take my pepper spray? One not. state, they took away an officer's pepper spray. So now that's one level of force that they can't use to prevent from going to their handgun. It's just stupid, ridiculous, knee-jerk policymaking that is well, that getting no cops sense. killed because we're seeing officers die. Officers are slow to react now. They're second-guessing themselves in moments. They need to be locked on. They need to be locked on. So they're not only getting uh, citizens killed through high crime from, from causing that effect, they're even getting cops killed who are now just sitting The dumb. woman got shot in the face. 
that woman police officer who got shot like point blank in the yeah. face yeah. and then saved her partner yeah. who was also shot i believe got her and then where was that heroic story you yeah. know there yeah. was just some random guy yeah. they uh, put that in the back burner that never had any follow up yeah. we don't know if she's still alive or not but what a hero she's a- shot right through the mouth and and attended to her more wounded partner called in for help got to a safe location and then got taken to the hospital like that's a hero as well Total- where is she in the news yeah, exactly exactly the media wants to focus on hyper focus on a negative experience because even the media, unfortunately, they've been co-opted by they, they become activists themselves. And that's just yeah. it's clear. It's abundantly right. clear. And, uh, you know, like I said, no one wants to hear a story about Officer Joseph housing somebody. You know, no one wants to hear a story about me not shooting anybody, you know, or during a traffic stop. They, they're waiting. They cannot wait for the next cop on black person contact so they can exploit that and get ratings and sponsors and push agendas in. That's where we're in a very dangerous place in this country. So, yeah, I'm sorry for going on a rant, but uh, that's what I'm living in right now. <laughs> no, it's... Hey, that's why you're here. And you know what? Next to this podcast, what can America do to become safer again? You know, like I had asked earlier, is L.A. becoming safer? You know, like what are some things, you know, because surely you, you're, you know, you're a man, you're, you're full, you're full of a ton of ideas. Uh, like, like, like what have you got? What can we do to start really just thinking about, you know, like, let's, let's make America, you know, like, you know, turn off the internet, go hug your neighbor. And what can we do to just be safer as a community? Well, well, two things, very important. One, like I said, uh, go join a citizen's academy uh, where we have 11 departments across the country. They have them where they bring you in and they put you in the shoes of a police officer. We're not going to give you a gun and badge and have you go chasing bad guys. Damn it. But <laughs> can we bring our own? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see that working out very well. No. <laughs> yeah. But uh but but Ben and I will be there tomorrow. <laughs> but we do have shoot don't shoot scenarios. We put you in the exact situations many officers have been in to see how you would react. You know, we have turned many of our most ardent detractors just from being in those situations where they got to feel the fear that an officer felt when somebody's Naturally. charging at them with a knife and they, they, they have, before you can even get your gun out, they're right here in your face. So that things wow. like that, uh, understand our rights, what we can do, and also understand your rights. That's what a citizen academy does. We educate on both ways. Also, uh, bringing tort and civic law back into schools. If we wanna save this next generation from the next tragic incident or next tragic traffic stop, we gotta get this into our school and teach kids about their rights have officers come and talk about what they can and can't do. Because you know what, there are people putting so much misinformation out there, disinformation, where they'll say, one teacher was telling me, well, I tell my kids that if an officer pulls you over, he doesn't have to, he can't pull you out of the car. That's not true. There is a uh, Supreme Court ruling called Pennsylvania versus Mims, that if I pull you over for a legal reason, I have the right to ask you to step out of, have you step out of the car at any moment. At, and people don't know that, you know, people don't understand that I don't have to read you your rights when I arrest you. The only time I have to read you your rights is if I'm question, if I have you in custody or detained and am questioning you about the crime. But if I'm not questioning you, I don't have to read you crap. People get mad, want to sue me all the time. He didn't read me my rights. Did he ask you any questions? Nope. You know, so these things need to be taught at the junior high school, high school level. I do this. I actually uh, have a friend who has me go to different high schools and middle schools. And I have this thing called the humanity of cops and the law where I talk to the youth about our rights, their rights, so we can reduce conflicts. And you'll you'll be surprised that most of the kids I talk to, they know this and they go, look, we know this. Most of these people who get shot, they would still be here if they just would have complied. This is coming from kids, black kids. If he wouldn't have done X, Y, and Z, he'd still be here. So that gives me hope that there's still common sense in the world. What takes that hope away when I find out it's their teacher trying to guide them to the thought that every time I pull you over, I'm going to kill you. Uh, I, I remember having to talk with my dad. My dad's talk back in, this, uh, in the 80s was, Dion, if you get pulled over by the police, be respectful, 10 and 2, turn your car off, turn your dome light on. Now the conversation is, because people have been guided to this thought, turn your car off or they're going to kill you. Uh, put your hands on the wheel or they're going to kill you. Uh, turn your dome light on or they're going to kill you. So what do you think that kid is hearing? No matter what you do, a cop is going to find yeah. a reason to kill you. You're fucked. Based on a few shootings. Let me give you a, a, some data to put it in your perspective. Maybe you can share this with your loved one. Please do. In the United States of America, there's 330 million people. That's a lot of people from all walks of life. Out of those people, there are 800,000 men and women who get up and go out and protect and serve. Most of them honorable. 
out of those 800,000 men and women, they have 375 million police contacts with the general public. In one year, Ooh. guess how many people they shot? 1,000. Let's break that down. You put it in your calculator, and I could be off by a degree or two. That means your Jeez, chance of being killed by a police officer is point zero 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 six. No matter who you are, zero 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 six. And those chances increase of survival when you just stop being a jerk, stop being combative. They're people. Right. They're just they're people. We're just people. You when that cop pulls you over, it may not be racism. He could be going through a bitter divorce, or the last right. five cars he stopped before you called him everything but a child of God, and you're number six, and he's had enough. We're just. Human. Yeah. My dad, that's what my dad would say. You're going to respect police officers, but they don't know you. You don't know them. This is what you do. But now we're 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 creating fight or flight primers in the minds of the youth. So where and people do it on purpose because they want that confrontation. The more of confrontation, the more Benjamin Crumps and Al Sharptons can have their 50 minutes of fame. So they're purposely doing these yeah. things to really uh, uh, gin people up when they get stopped by the police. And it wasn't this way. Not even it wasn't this bad seven years ago where now just about everybody you stop is afraid you're going to kill them. They want to challenge you. They want to be jerks. They want to get their cameras out and film you and be confrontational on camera and just wait for you to say that one cuss word. Oh, there it is. Of course. There it is. That proves racism right there. And then you're fried. Then you're fried. Then you get then fried. fried. So if you, if you really care about people, and I'm talking about educators, uh, politicians, if you care about people, start telling them the truth and let's start educating these kids about their rights, what a police officer's rights are, the law, uh, you know, I talked to my sons at an early age about the basic laws, uh, criminal threats, assault with a deadly weapon, uh, you know, uh, pat-down searches, when an officer can search you, uh, consensual encounters versus reasonable suspicion and probable cause. Teach your kids those things in school, and you're going to have a lot of reduction in a lot of these contacts because now these kids know. And those kids I used to talk to, uh, hopefully I'll get to talk to them again post-pandemic, uh, they've all said it, that what you said helped me when I got stopped by the police. That's beautiful. That's the goal. I want to save lives. Beautiful. It's helping us I'm right now. Save lives, that's all. Yeah. Yep. Dion, that's amazing, man. Uh, you're, you're an absolute wealth of knowledge. Um, we'll get you going here in a sec. I feel like we need to do a part two and talk about the actual homelessness and a lot of those issues as well. But uh, to get wrapped up here, last thing I want to talk about is that beautiful necklace around your neck. What's the story behind that? I see that in a lot of interviews yeah. and, and pictures of yours on social media. It seems like it's something very special. Is it, there a story is, behind it? It is very special. Uh, all my life, I wanted to know more about African-Americans than Jim Crow and slavery. That's all that's been fed to me. I even joined an activist group where all we talked about was the culture and, and, and uh, racism and Jim Crow and slavery. But I always believed in my heart that there was more to us than just slavery. So one day I decided to do a DNA check on Ancestry.com, and I discovered, I always wanted to know who I am, you know, because I hated going to these functions, and I hear these great people. Yeah. I'm Indian. I'm, I'm from Greece. I'm from this and that. And when they asked me, I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm a mutt. That's what I always said. I don't know. That's for real. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so that's right. I uh, did an Ancestry check, and, uh, and I found out that I'm Nigerian, uh, Cameroonian, and uh, from the Congo. And I studied the history of these people. And man, it just made me well with pride. So one day I go, two days later, I go to a store and I'm looking for some African garb because I have a friend at a Wakandan, Wakandan themed wedding, right? And while I'm there, I bought the thing and the lady says, you look like a leader. She says, I have something I want to give you. Okay. And she gave me this. I said, what does it mean? She says, it's from Africa and it means one who provides direction. And man, I wear this as a constant reminder that That's I'm more amazing. than slavery, I'm more than Jim Crow, that I am a beautiful human being who comes from a long history of greatness. So that's why I wear it, and uh, that's yes. the story behind it. I love it to death. You are a beautiful human being, man, and just listening to you today, I mean, you're, you're doing exactly what you're talking about. Well, thank you, brother. <laughs> this man is a true role model that not only you and I can look up to in a lot of ways, but the younger generations growing up should learn from because the things he preaches are actually conducive to change. We salute you, Dion. Thanks for coming on the Call to Action podcast. We salute you. Uh, thank you for your service, and welcome to the CTAP family, my man. Thank you. God bless you guys. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Take care.